In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Tell your friends, you're listening to the Verhoeven Effect Podcast. I'm Conlon. And I'm Nathan. And today we have another very special episode. We have the 2015 movie Green Room, directed by Jeremy Solnier. Yeah, it sounds good to me. <laughs> Solier, Solnier, I'm not sure. I mean, he's from America, so. <laughs> Solner. Solner, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which I guess maybe we could have done his previous movie, but we'll skip over. He did. apparently he made a big indie hit called. Well, I'm not sure how big it was, but it was called Blue Ruin. Yeah, and this was his follow up was Green Room. But he says he didn't mean that for that to happen, so he doesn't have like a color trilogy out there or anything like that. So. Uh, I've seen them both. There actually, I've seen um, all his. Well, I haven't seen Murder Party. Okay, but I've seen Blue Ruin, Green Room, and Hold the Dark. Yeah, that was his latest movie. He didn't write that. He just directed it, which that's, that's also a weird movie. I mean, it's all in the same <laughs> vein of, of like... Yeah, Hold the Dark's a Netflix movie, but I hear good things about it, so... Yeah, and he also directed some episodes of uh, True Detective. That would have to have been season two, right? Or which one? Which uh, one's 2019, which was season one. Is that 2019? No, that was season yeah. three. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the one with... Um, Season two is the one that everybody hates, and you said season three is pretty good as yeah. a, not necessarily a return to form, but at least it's not season two. Although there's things I like about season two, but it's season one's a masterpiece, so it's hard to compare. Yeah, it's really hard to <laughs> to make that work. Um, so yeah, he's a relatively, I guess, relatively a new director, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seems to have a style. Once I realized that, like this was the guy who did Hold the Dark and Blue Ruin, it's like, oh, okay, so I can... Because I've never seen this movie before last night, but it's like <laughs> I already felt like, oh, I have some familiarity, and it's like kind of what I thought it was going to be. Well, we're in our green section. It doesn't necessarily have to be organized like that. I was like, I heard... I remember the, the Red Letter Media guys liking this movie. Oh, and okay. because I forgot what they said about it, it was like, good, let's go. I don't remember their opinions about it, so we can talk about it. <laughs> but, you know, they always appreciate, like, small indie stuff that's, you know, violent and weird. So that's kind of their thing. So, of course, this they would like it. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just threw this out here, like, green room. But, like, our previous ones, we had our previous movies were both food titles. <laughs> Soylent Green and Fried Green Tomatoes, and both featured cannibalism. Yeah. <laughs> None featured here. So. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, not that we know of. <laughs> For the violence that was in this movie, it's like, yeah, people started eating each other. It'd be like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's basically a zombie movie, but you replace zombies with skinheads. So. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of like, this sort of reminded me in a way of, of, of like the old um, Sam Peckinpah films. 
yeah. and the, kind of their Fight. style. It's like there's lots of violence, but nobody's necessarily good at it. So it's almost <laughs> incidental violence. It's like there's yeah. some people in here you can tell have thought of violence or maybe committed some violence, but they're not great at it. So it's like <laughs> it's really bloody because it's people are screwing up and making mistakes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Because everyone's not just born to start killing people. No one's an expert no. at that. So that's why I consider this. This reminded me a little bit of Straw Dogs, uh, which I guess this was uh, inspired by another European film like a french movie uh first release may 13 2016 but it was a 2015 movie because they got rolled out on the like uh what do you call that film circuit like mm-hmm. film festival circuit for like a year oh okay it's an a24 film but i'm not sure if they just picked it up like a24 back then was kind of just like a new kind of indie company but now they're kind of a prestigious film company where it's like if you want something interesting weird and or challenging like look for a24 because they got a lot of those movies and they've uh been fairly successful so they their movies have generally their catalog is kind of their budgets have inflated with their own success but they're not you know they're not disney or anything like that but <laughs> but anyways yeah if you want weird stuff like what's on the a24 docket because not all their stuff is just like hey we're releasing it in theaters it's it's all over the place you know it's like here it's on the festival circuit or here it's on demand somewhere. But yeah. So yeah, I think it was still a relatively small company. I also branched out into video games and stuff too, just for, just oh, for that. Really? Okay. Huh. <laughs> and I was like that. What's that? It was like, I can't remember what Annapurna is. I can't remember if they're like a distributor and, or if that was a video game first, but they're, if for some reason in my mind, Annapurna and day 24 are kind of like butting heads in the same area of like, acclaimed indie drama <laughs> so yeah director is Joel Saulnier cinematographer is Sean Porter who probably his only other known movie he shot was Green Book which I don't think we'll be doing because <laughs> I hear it's one of those movies like here's a race relation movie that's actually bad so it's like all right let's, let's skip that <laughs> yeah, let's not dive into that <laughs> so I get one Oscars because that's what that kind of movie is designed to do not because it's good because <laughs> written by Joel Saunier, which he seems to write a lot of his stuff. Like you said, uh, Hold the Dark, he didn't write that. I think he's right. He he has listed what is listed for his next movie, which it says it's in post-production. So it's called Rebel Ridge. He wrote and directed it. It's described as a high-velocity thriller that explores syst- systemic American injustices through bone-breaking action sequences, suspense, and dark humor. So no idea what that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, starring Anna Sophia Robb. Don't know who she is. Uh, James Cromwell, John, Don Johnson, James Badge Dale. Interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so I guess look for that somewhere. Uh, stars Anton Yelchin, which is what was this his last released movie after his death. Oh, okay. Imogene Poots, bad name. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, I don't know her from anything really, but I always remember. 28 weeks name. later, she was the sister. Oh, yeah. Because she has very in- interesting eyes. Like the camera likes her eyes. Yeah, I guess. It does it in this too. It's just like she has that look to her. <laughs> 
Well, that's what, that, what I was talking about. Greed factor. I was like looking up what, what she did, and that's where I discovered Vivarium. I was like, what the hell is this movie? <laughs> and then uh, Aaliyah Shawcat, which I'm, I most know her from Arrested Development and Search Party, but you know she does a bunch of different stuff. So okay, and I guess originally her role was a male role, but then he decided to open up like, well, anybody can do this role. So he liked what she did with it. So that's how she got the role. So yeah, do you have any history with this movie or is this the first time knowing and seeing it? Last <laughs> night was the first time I knew what I knew. Like it was, it was one of those movies that's like, Oh yeah. Um, Patrick Stewart plays a really evil person. It's like, Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. That's not you normal Patrick Stewart. And then yeah. I just never followed up on it. I don't know why sometimes yeah. things miss. I miss things. I miss a lot of things. And what do you know about the concept of a green room? Like, do you, do you know why it's called a green room? It's just like a waiting area for performers, isn't it? Yeah, from what I understand, it's yeah, it's like it's before you go on like a show. It's like a place where you there's refreshments, and you know, a place to relax and be left alone, and you know, uh, kind of get ready for whatever performance or talk show or whatever you're getting to go on. That's that's all I understand of it. Yeah, and they're not all painted green either. <laughs> Yeah, I meant to look that up. It's like, why is it called a green room? But I don't know. So yeah, that'd be helpful to know if you at least know that. It's like a waiting area for performers, so. Yeah. Which is great in this movie because like like I don't even think anybody like calls it the green room. You just have to know it's like, oh, that's the green room. And it's the room they often return to. <laughs> like you would in a zombie movie. Yeah. <laughs> when you don't have a budget and you only have two sets, <laughs> the outside and inside. <laughs> Um, I actually don't know the budget for this movie. It might have been like a high budget concerning five million. Oh, okay, yeah, that's not basically nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in twenty sixteen bucks, it's not a lot of money. Although there was a great quote from the director. He said, like, the reason he he didn't take he didn't necessarily take offers because I guess Blue Room was a success. That he had some Hollywood offers come in. They wanted to make like kind of a gritty. Um, because I guess Blue Ruin's a bit more like sarcastic and funny than this movie. Yeah, yeah, this movie's a little mean. <laughs> and so he thought he, he wanted to make this movie as quickly as he could before people th- found out he was a fraud. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I'll never get this chance again. So, <laughs> so we open on a, a sleeping Anton Yelchin, who's his character's name is just Pat. Uh, and then we have the great reveal, the van that has run into a cornfield, although it hasn't. But it looks like, oh, is this an accident? But no, it's not. It's just like the band pulled over in a cornfield for the hell of it, or the guy fell asleep at the wheel and decided to just park the van and go to sleep. No, he fell asleep at the wheel, and the van just rolled into a cornfield. Oh, okay. Because they were completely <laughs> out of fuel because the, it was an idle, or the engine was just running the whole night. Oh, okay. That's why they had to ride a bicycle to go siphon gas out of cars in a parking <laughs> lot. Allie Shawcat, she's here with Sam. She check, checks her phone, and so the van's battery's working, but yeah, they're out of gas. Uh, so Sam and Pat go into town to siphon gas from people's cars, which is funny. It's like all the equipment in the van, like the one of the necessary ones is like, well, we need a bicycle, and we need a siphon, a gas siphoning kit. So. Yep. It's essential to our survival, <laughs> especially when you're making like $350 at a gig and that's your good gig. <laughs> like your bad gig, you're making $6 amongst four people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're playing at like the Denny's lunch 
cafe or something <laughs> something weird like that yeah uh they go back to the van and they, they get it going and they get it back on the road or like they kind of push it out but i'm guessing that's just more because it's stuck not necessarily because they're trying to like start it in there anyway so they get uh they get into town they get keys to an apartment from some like punk reporter kid or something i don't know who this guy is yeah he's basically a reporter and uh yeah he's writing like an underground newspaper or something or he's just like he's just and he's like he's also like he's in college guy too yeah yeah he's like a radio guy and he's doing an underground articles and he's doing interviews for a paper and he knows a lot of people (laughs) this is all set in the pacific northwest which is an area i've never been and not familiar with (laughs) Because it's like out, this is but, all outside of Portland, I believe. Yeah, uh, I mean that's where it's filmed. So, but you know, you know, your closest recollection would be, you know, for uh, which is, I mean that's in Washington State, but for uh, Twin Peaks. Which, yeah. So, anytime you're out in that area, you just apply a magical realism to everything. It's like, oh, anything can happen here. Well, it's very green forward. there. I know that because it rains constantly, <laughs> but they don't have the desert climate like in California. Or Southern yeah. California, so it's like oh, everything's bright green there all the time because <laughs> it rains constantly and everyone's really super depressed. And I don't even really think they have winter there, or at least not like we do. Uh, I mean, they have I a lot imagine, of evergreen. I imagine they would, but yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't never hear about like oh, it's like you know hellish winter in Portland. I don't know, maybe they do. Yeah, but like a lot of the trains are like are like pine trees, or is that what evergreen tree is? Like yeah, the ones yeah. that never shed. So. Yeah. So, yeah, it just always looks green because the trees don't shed or or have whatever process they do instead. <laughs> I don't know the life cycle of a pine tree. Forgive me. <laughs> yeah, it has some. It's like deciduous and non-deciduous tree. Uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah. They, I know they explode if they get really hot. I know, like, the sap in <laughs> pine is way more reactive than the sap in, like, an oak tree. Because you can make, like, you can, you can like... Th- you can melt pine down and make it into like a kind of medieval napalm. <laughs> it's called <laughs> pine pitch. And it's like, oh, this sounds nasty because it sticks and it's a chemical fire, so it doesn't burn. But yeah, in forests, uh, fires the uh, the pine trees explode. They also explode <laughs> in winter if they freeze solid through, because huh. the pine sap will suddenly start to super expand as it freezes, and the trees are just like boom. It sounds like a gun going <laughs> off. It's like really weird. Huh never seen it happen but that's what they tell me so uh you can make a whole movie based on that <laughs> yeah, the exploding trees of portland or it's like a one aspect of a new blair witch project it's like what was that explosion it's like it's nice cold out here the the, pine, the maple the pines are exploding because this the the sap is expanding nope. <laughs> yeah so that the the punk interviewer guy gives him like keys in an apartment I like that they like start playing a record and then they just cut to it being done and then like we're at the next day. Yep. <laughs> this movie's very swift. It's only an hour and a half long, so yeah, so not a lot. a lot. In the... It's like three hours of weird <laughs> going on. <laughs> Punk guy comes back to interview the band, uh, which I don't know. He like he doesn't seem like. I think he mentions at college and was like, "Oh, that makes sense," because he seems like a bad interviewer because he seems like he just asks standard questions. I'm like. I mean, aren't you supposed to be like an alternative magazine that's really supposed to drill down to like the essence of the thing? And I mean, he's asking like, what's your desert island ba- bands? And it's like, what kind of question is that? Yeah, I would immediately be annoyed, especially people that are into punk. Like that's, I don't know much about that. 
and that genre of music, but I know people around here that are into it, and it's like, yeah, those people would like tear you apart asking questions <laughs> like that. But I think that was kind of the point was this guy was yeah, yeah. a little naive and out of his league. Yeah, and it sets up a long running kind of gag throughout the movie. So yeah. Um, also, you know, makes yeah makes him unlikable. So and he come becomes further unlikable, even though he himself isn't a bad person. He just inevitably screws them over. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's just kind of he's someone out of his depth. He's what they would call a poser or something. It's like someone <laughs> but this who's is not where, really committed to this. Yeah. But through questioning like this is where you find out that this band's really eccentric because it's supposed to be modern times, but they don't have an online presence. Uh which they which is like, hey, why don't why why is that? And they basically they're they, like Pat basically says that like that would ruin their essence. Like, you know, a live performance is a live performance and it ends there and dwindles away. You like, otherwise you have to keep like, keep that energy up all the time. And that would just be self-defeating <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. There's just not a lot of residuals in that though. Yeah. yeah well, it's kind of the joke. I mean, I think they really set that up. So it's like, well, no one's going to miss these guys. If something happens <laughs> Yeah, they're yeah, yeah. They're on Facebook, Hey, meet us at the, woodsy neo-nazi retreat (laughs) (laughs) we want to hang out with the pine nazis or whatever they are yeah that's that's yeah that's basically just the conceit of it it's like well we got to put them in a situation where a phone can't solve everything even though they do have phones they're just taken away but they just say they're not in social media so there is so there isn't like this question of like hey what happened to the band (laughs) it's like no no the thing is that nobody knows who we are and that's a good thing somehow uh but also they're siphoning gas so you know they probably don't want too much attention being that they pretty much have to commit crimes to keep their band going yeah they're living on the fringes of they're, they're a fringe group living on the fringes of even that and also i believe they're like dc natives yeah uh, which is a like like a practically a mecca for like punk rock and stuff like that. Cause that, but I think that's where like minor threat is from because that's Patton Oswalt talks about them all the time. And he's like a, he's from that area too. Oh, okay. So like minor threat and, uh, Oh, is it bad brains or what is <laughs> something like that? There, there's some of them. Like I said, that's a, that's a genre of music. I am not super familiar with. Yeah, yeah. I, you just know the big stuff. It's like that you see in movies. I've never really invest. Like I said, I'm more of a prog rock guy than I am that. But well, it's like who's the biggest punk band ever? And you probably would have to say like Green Day. But they're so mainstream, you'd be like, that's not a punk band. It's like you can't be punk if you're mainstream. That's the idea of punk. Yeah, <laughs> is that it's like a quiet secret we all hold. <laughs> yeah, it's more in you. Some of it's like really in your face. It's yeah. like, yeah, screw the system, you know, screw you, man, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I'm more like a Nero's fiddle guy. It's like, well, no, I want to watch it all burn, but like calmly <laughs> from a distance. Not, I don't want to be like thrashing around in the streets. Uh, and also, like, there's a lot of British punks, too. That, like, I don't know which started first. Like, I imagine it would be British punk, but I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, it's a genre I really don't know much about. <laughs> but it works in this movie because it's just interesting like yeah who are these people yeah. and what are they doing because i knew there's uh, neo-nazis and i knew that there were punks but i never really thought that they crossed genres. oh yeah, yeah and then it's like oh yeah wait they do because i remember this this and that now <laughs> um which is like oh wow this is weird 
yeah they basically like the same music but it's like no we're not about that i'm like but we are it's like because <laughs> basically they're saying you know they're singing about like fight the system and all that stuff like that like they're like yeah fight the system it's like no not that system. yeah <laughs> not the same system <laughs> we wanted to, we want to get rid of normality not like create a new normal <laughs> yeah yeah we don't want to just unleash horror on the world we want to like you know mitigate the we want we want more of a wild and chaotic blend of things going on we just don't want to like kill certain certain groups of people <laughs> and like that's that's something t- totally different uh, also, here's where the band learns that they lost their gig and they have to settle for like a noon gig at a diner. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, which I guess the director I read some of the trivia, and I guess the director used to be in a punk band or something. And he said he that was basically him recreating a a gig he had to do. <laughs> oh yeah, it seemed to have an air of authenticity to it. Yeah, I know the I did hear the director kind of insisted that the stars in the band like learn to play music together. And you know, yeah, sing so, certain songs and stuff, so you know, like they could create uh, a kind of a a believable band. Yeah, well, uh, all the performances in the movie they're not dubbed or anything like that. It's just the actors are the band. Yeah, so. with punk you can get no. away with that too. Yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah. Of it's like, oh, he's not playing right. It's like, yeah, that's that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not doing math guitar in this or anything. So yeah. I mean, yeah, my, like a lot of punk is just going one, two, three, four, and just banging on your instruments and yelling loudly, which that's why people disregard it a lot of time is because sometimes that's what people are doing, and sometimes there's a nuance to it, and it's hard to tell. Oh, there's a new I mean, I've listened to, listened to some of that music. Some of the like lyrics and stuff are clever and amazing and very, uh, you know, uh, a very uh acutely anti-establishment in a fun way it's like yeah, some yeah. of that music can really carry you into fight the system but then you realize like well it's not just about singing songs you got to like carry out a plan and stuff and that's when it gets all boring and depressing <laughs> that's when it becomes like a job i mean there's like there's like even further subdivisions where it's like the straight edge stuff too where it's like we're punk rock but no drugs and alcohol and they're like well how does that work and it's like we're fighting the system with a clear mind, guys. <laughs> yeah. We're fighting to be sober, which is the saddest fight. <laughs> you have to live that fight. You can't dream that fight. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, uh, I wrote the singer, but I think there's actually Reese, the drummer, who knocks out, who, like, knocks the punk guy against the against the wall because he hands him, like, $6 after, like, the take of the diner. <laughs> Which I guess I'm six dollars for all of them, so not yeah, necessarily just six dollars split four ways. It's like, woo. Oh, six dollars for oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, here's uh, some little things I liked about this that I could appreciate about like living in weird areas and living out of your van. Um, is uh, before the show when the guys go into the apartment, the guy who does the interview, he tells yeah. them like where to park and park your van with the back against the wall so no one can break into your van and steal all your. Shit. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, that's a nice little touch," because I've actually <laughs> been in places where they say, "Like, yeah, don't, yeah, park the van so they can't get the doors open." And it's like, "Well, this is a nice place." <laughs> in that case, it was a U-Haul, and it was something different. But I was like, "Oh, I've actually like I've been to, and I know like Portland has it. What's their big thing there? Heroin, 
Like they just got a bunch of junkies running around there because of the heroin addiction. Well, that's probably everywhere now, but yeah, yeah, at one know. time they were infamous for that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Portland. I mean, th- there's a whole television series about how weird Portland is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's supposed to be like, you know, it's Portlandia, if you don't know. And it's supposed oh, to be yeah. like, and it's supposed to be like, oh, this is ridiculous. And then, like, you go to Portland, it's like, oh, this. They weren't even like trying to be funny. Yeah, <laughs> they were just like recreating a documentary of Portland. <laughs> oh, this was interesting far. So then you show up like, no, what? Because <laughs> the, the the weird like kind of feature I know about Portland is that like they they made a lot of city ordinances, so like things that happened in very like in Atlanta and Detroit, where it's just like they just keep it just keeps growing outwards and then like the inner city dies. Yeah. So, so they make it so that like, basically at some radius, you can no longer build a building that's more than like three stories tall. So it keeps everything in the middle of the city. Oh, (laughs) and you just have to repurpose what's there. It's like reverse Washington DC. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, there's like, so it's like basically like at some point, like you can just see Portland, like in the distance because there's nothing in your way <laughs> so that's why you know it makes it extra weird because people have to like well we have well this shirt factory closed down what are we going to do with it like i don't know turn it into housing yeah <laughs> just build an internal like lattice structure and put apartments in there like, but <laughs> use the elevator that was a freight elevator for like whatever fabric they were weaving so people have to ride that up and down and, you know, and wave the variant so it doesn't have doors on the front or the back of it. And then people are like, well, this is quirky. It's like, yeah, you can't do this anywhere else in the United States. <laughs> the only place this is allowed. Um, but also, presumably, you could just, like, while we're in the city, we want to build a giant skyscraper. Apparently, I think that would be allowed. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm not sure. I just heard that interesting thing about on podcasts from people that moved there. And that's where, like, they, oh, I found out this weird thing about Portland, so. Which is kind of everything, but yeah, I think there was some concept of of like trying to reinvigorate Detroit with with things like that, like yeah, move yeah, into yeah. these old buildings and do all this kooky stuff. And but I just I think after a while it gets really depressing because the city's <laughs> like the city of Detroit is not run by like liberal, progressive, forward thinking people. It's still run by criminals. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) come into our clutches. And then you find out like they will tax your business to death. And like there's zero city services or any, it's like, yeah, you're on your own. (laughs) It's like, well, where's RoboCop? He's like, that's not real. You know, that's, uh, so that's the, that's the sad part. You don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. And you really actually don't want that. But yeah, that's kind of the sad part of it. Like they make it seem like, oh, it can be this quirky bohemian thing. It's like, no, the people in charge are still the same people in charge. It's just just because one of them gets indicted doesn't mean the rest of them go away. They're all still there. <laughs> so, oh, so yeah, it's like, no, we couldn't turn this into Mister Rogers' neighborhood. Sorry. Uh, so yeah, the the Reese knocks the punk guy against the wall. Like, a, you know, it's like about to beat the crap out of him, but then. He says, "Hey, I got I got you a gig around Portland." And he's like saying like, "What's going on there?" I was like, "Well, the crowd's probably going to be right wing, like how right wing." It's like, "Ah, it's not too bad." Just what don't does he talk call them like politics. straps and something there's a term he uses. Oh yeah, yeah. 
I can't remember. What yeah. is it like stripes and straps or I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. It sounded like very like, oh, that's those are Nazis you're talking about. Like you knew as soon as you heard it. It's like, oh, these yeah. are people that march in a certain circle or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> that, that crew in America where most people are, you know, not of like pure ancestry. Like, yeah, we're into the Nazis. It's like, OK, that's weird. <laughs> Good luck with that. That the Aryan Italians <laughs> or the Irish Aryans. It's like, you know, what yeah. Hitler thought of you people, right? <laughs> it's like the people of the British Isles he considered a mongrel race inferior in Germans in both or inferior to Aryans Aryans in both thought and physique. So yeah, like all these people with like British and Irish, you know, ancestry that are in America now getting into the Nazis. It's like, yeah, wrong crew, man. <laughs> Might as well just go join Sinn Fein. It's like they'll have you. What's that? Ah, uh, it's the political. Well, it's essentially the political arm of the IRA. They always said they were separate, oh, okay. but that's Jerry Adams ran it. Uh, cut to night. They're driving to the gig. They have a flyer. Uh, I think it's from the previous gig because the punk guy drew it, and they thought it was a pretty cool poster of like, I don't know. It's it's a, the the name of the band's called the Ain't Rights. Yeah. Um, and it's like this picture of like some like it's like a cartoon picture of a lady with a knife who like carved out guts from somebody. And in the guts is ain't right. Yeah. Spelled ain't right. So yeah, it's weird like, foreshadowing. Cool. <laughs> uh, it also says like, it says ain't right. And then below it says DC freaks. So I'm not sure if that was like, they were the headliners and that was like one of the uh, openers or if that's like a part of the band name or if that's describing who they are. It's like, they ain't right. So they're a part of the DC freaks crew or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was kind of weird. I just assumed they were just, the DC, the ain't rights, and it was the DC uh, was Freak. like nom de gurum of the whole thing. Okay, because I almost like I forget what is that dead Kennedy's where it's like the it's like the star symbols and it has like one. It's, oh, it's basically like a DK, star. Okay, but it looks like yeah, the girl. One of the girls is wearing a dead Kennedy's T-shirt. Okay. Yeah, I just remember it's like what is that T-shirt because I've seen it all the time, and I like I don't know what it belongs to. It's like oh yeah, it's dead Kennedy's. Uh, which is also a pop band, or a punk band, right? Yeah. They're like one of the most famous ones because they sold all those t-shirts and that's why you know of them, but you never heard of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like everyone has the shirt and it's like, hey, you ever listen to the music? It's like kind of interesting. <laughs> um, I mean, we know Jello Biafra from a lot of like, he did crossover stuff with Ministry and stuff. He was the lead singer for the Dead Kennedys, I believe. Oh, okay. Because that song they sing, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so I have it being in Act One because, like, oh, like here's the band that got a gig somewhere that they're kind of unsure about. <laughs> so yep. We have Act Two. It's a uh, they have like a campfire at night. And then we cut to day and it's just shot of the forest. The band pulls up to the gig. It's like in the middle of the woods with like construction equipment and shipping containers. Yeah, <laughs> which I've seen, I've seen places like this before. Which I don't know. I guess they like in reality it was just like, hey, can you build us this thing? Like this place kind of looks cool, and so they just kind of made it look like it was a club when it wasn't, because the inside is just a set, so the outside can just look like anything. Yeah, you can but just there are places a barn to you know make yeah. it look like. You know. <laughs> but there is yeah, there are places like this where it's just like somebody had a dream for a nightclub, but they didn't have the money or the skill, and they just threw one together, it, like in and the it becomes woods. like yeah. Yeah, and it just becomes this quirky, eclectic place that, like, 
not people it doesn't drive a lot of people to it but the people that go like it's you know it does enough for them to get by i guess <laughs> or yeah you'll have like those weird like here's a big band that does stadiums and all of a sudden like they do the show in a barn somewhere in like north dakota <laughs> it's like wait what's this place and why are they doing this and it's like you know to to make their the fans second guess them like we could show up anywhere but really this is the only weird gig we're ever going to do <laughs> well another way this movie builds tension too that i liked uh is is like this, the, the time when they're like around the campfire and then when they're driving into the woods of the Pacific Northwest, it's a very like kind of wide shot and like, you know, slow tone music playing the whole time, which is yeah. completely in contrast to everything else that's gone on to this point. And so it like does build. It's like, oh, you're afraid of this place before they even pull in, you know, even yeah, you, you know, they're entering something they shouldn't be. Yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, even though like it looks lush and green but the ominous music tells you like this is going to go bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they meet the cousin of the punk guy this i think is daniel and so they immediately get off to a bad start i forget he says something but i don't know how he knows it because he's like they shouldn't know each other but he mentioned something about a girl and then like he like pushes him up against the car he's like hey man don't say that <laughs> Well, yeah, because um, the, the the reporter is, is, is in some relationship with a girl that they both know. Yeah. And he's like, he acknowledges like, oh, yeah, he's told us about that. And this guy immediately flips out. And like, yeah, <laughs> basically like, picks him up or throws him against the wall, holding him by his neck, which is like, well, I, I, you know what? Time to go. I don't need 300 bucks. <laughs> uh, uh, and so they get brought into the place. They get the manager brings them into the green room. This is Gabe. I think I write his name later. And so, of course, as we find out, oh, yeah, the the green room has Nazi symbols and white power stuff all over it. So, yeah, they're absolutely in the wrong place that they don't want to be when the guy told them. It's like, ah, it'll be okay. Just don't talk about politics. It's like, no, we're absolutely in the wrong place. But they just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to the point that they go out and they play a song called Nazi Punk's F***, which is a Dead Kennedys cover, <laughs> uh, to the hate of the crowd. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's, no, what is it? Let me find it here. Yeah, Nazi punks f*** off. Oh, f okay. Yeah, which I know, like, because uh, cause that's when Jello Biafra was in with the Dead Kennedys before he left. Because I know that they he redid it. Oh, it was like two years into the Trump administration. Uh, it was called, yeah, Nazi Trump's f*** off. So, yeah, he, <laughs> he re revisited it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this song is evergreen, <laughs> just like the 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 forest they're in. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that was like a. And I like it's funny how as they're playing it, like the band's like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done this. Like, maybe they're not going to get the irony of this. Well, it's only Pat really has the weird because they show Pat like noticing some ladies passing a note around, which really at this moment in the movie, like you can't suspect anything that's going on. But how it's shot, it lets you know, like, this is something important and something weird is happening. Only Pat knows about it. Yeah. Because uh, the rest of the band is like, they're just enjoying, like, yeah, we're just, we're fighting this system, too. Because, <laughs> like, the crowd's with them at, at first because they say Nazi punks. And they're like, yeah. And then it's like, the f going on. And they're like, no. <laughs> uh, you know, they, they toss some beer bottles and, and spit at them. But they, they hang around because they... Uh, they when they play the rest of their set, essentially like these guys 
enjoy the rest of their set enough to you know do their little nazi circle mosh pit thing yeah. so, so then yeah then they're walking they're walking back to the green room they're drinking and they get paid and then they get kicked out for the headliner which is cow catcher uh which is a just a nazi punk band so yeah there's actually a name for that uh because i had it up here because i was immediately like this is weird um they're called uh nsbm national socialist black metal didn't know that was a thing huh <laughs> so that that's like the, the 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 genre that the fictional band Cowcatcher would be playing under <laughs> okay that's weird <laughs> yeah Oh, okay. Not not black as in like the race, just black metal as in harder core metal. Yeah, there's all kinds of genres that like, because there's like dark metal, death metal. There's all that Norwegian stuff and Scandinavian yeah. stuff, and it's like all these things sort of run together. Yeah, uh, yeah. but it's they don't blend and they're not all the same thing. But they uh, they seem to. I don't know. It's just a kind of a weird thing. It's basically where people get on the microphone and are like, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And they're just saying, like, racist stuff, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you mumble it loudly into a microphone, like, it's it's basically a dog whistle. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember I came up with a band name in high school uh, called Cadillacs. But it would be cattle, as in, you know, cows, and then axe. But it sounds like the plural form of Cadillacs, the car. <laughs> but, you know, that would be for, like, some metal band, and I wasn't really into metal. I mean, I like metal, but it's like if I were making music, I wouldn't necessarily make metal music. So, yeah, they get they get kicked out of there. Like, they, they're like, yeah, grab all your crap, because they put all the stuff out in the hallway. And they also mentioned, like, hey, you need to pick that up because it's a fire hazard. Like, the owner's a real stickler about that. But Sam Sam left her phone in the green room, so Pat goes in to go to go get the phone. He grabs the phone, and then basically, as he's leaving, he realizes like, "Oh, there's the lady stabbed in the head and laying on the ground," <laughs> which this becomes immediately weird. And Cowcatcher's in there, and they 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 did the deed, and uh, so he's trying to call the police, but then the band get uh, taken hostage, and they take their phone away. But like they they cut off the the police call. And the manager's pretty calm about this because they don't make it like immediately like a horror movie where like they're going to start killing them now. It becomes this like weird thing where it's like, all right, well, this situation's weird, but we're going to be kind of calm about it and energetic about it at the same time. And, yeah, we're going to be weirdly you... charismatic. <laughs> and then you hear like, and then the, the, the manager gets on the phone, Gabe, he's played by Macon Blair, who, uh, I don't know if you know him from stuff, but he he was like the main actor in Blue Ruin. Yeah, he was the main guy in Blue Ruin, the homeless guy. And so I hear you, you hear him call he, the the police call back. He answers the phone and he reports a stabbing, which is what's going on. It's like, oh wow, they're just gonna go like, how's this gonna work out? And it's like, it's gonna work out a really weird and interesting way. Because <laughs> so, as far as they know, it's like, okay, the the police know there's a stabbing. Everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but yeah there's i think there's a line when he like he hangs up and he's talking to somebody else and it makes it seem like oh the cops are on their side and that's how they're going to get away with it but no the cops aren't on their side <laughs> oh yeah and then we cut to like a scene where sam is like trying to bargain about like well maybe she isn't dead you know so there's some weird things that happen and then like it's worm is the lead singer of cow catcher that stabbed her he just grabs 
the knife that's stuck in this lady's head and just like kind of like pulls her dra- drags her body around it's like yep she's dead and it's like well maybe you know i don't there's not a lot of blood there and then he pulls the knife out and then just pours blood all over the place and so he just lets okay no more bargaining this lady's dead <laughs> i guess the director said that like that was an image from like some um well i guess it was an image it's probably just a story that a inmate told in some like prison documentary that he saw when he was a kid and it was just burned in his mind so he had to put that in a movie oh, watching one of those scared straight movies <laughs> yeah. then we cut to like the outside we have gabe he gives like six hundred dollars to like two young skinhead punks and like one stabs the other and this is how they're covering up for the stabbing it's like the police are coming our stabbing is reported and here they present a new stabbing as the original stabbing. It's like, huh, okay, I guess that's interesting, weird, quick thinking. I don't know if this is going to play out, but let's see. Well, this is like the interesting part two of the Patrick Stewart character. Because he, he, he's like arranging some of this stuff like in the background. Yeah. And like you hear a voice over the phone and then the one guy's like, look, the knife is under a certain link, so it's not a felony. It's only a misdemeanor. It's like, oh, these people are really familiar with violence in a certain way. <laughs> like they know like exactly what they're doing and, and how to make this seem, uh, you know, like it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, that's I mean, that's kind of the weird thing about this movie, but I guess it would be accurate to <laughs> skinhead is like in the movie, these guys are presented as professional criminals. But there are still a bunch of morons, even though some of them are professional criminals. <laughs> yeah, that's the brilliance of the Patrick Stewart performance in this movie, because not only is he scary, but he has a plan. But he always has that vague way that only English people can do of sounding disappointed as each new problem comes up. He's like, oh, all right, look, we're going to have to do this. And this. like he's vaguely flustered because he's surrounded by idiots. And, yeah, and it's he, like no one's doing their job right. He's like, "All right, look, we're going to have to do this now." <laughs> and it's, "Can you please, you know, you know, only bring the guys with the I want the red laces, which is like the hit squad." But he's always talking in this way. It's like, "Oh, can you just cretins just follow through <laughs> with one thing, please?" Yeah, cuz he's just a manager. He doesn't execute any of these things. He just has like technically that would be a good plan for what you're trying to do, but the guys you have executing it are morons. Yeah. <laughs> Because that's the kind of people you can convince to be in your cult. Yeah, that's the problem is like these guys aren't bankers. They're just people who's and I've never like I said, I don't know neo-Nazi skinhead punks, but I've known like militia people before and talked to them. And it's like, yeah, it's all a one track recording with these guys. It's all like the same stuff over and over again. They're not interesting, quirky people with a lot of cool ideas. It's like at the end of the day. They're just people that they have a, like a one-track mind and they have a very simple philosophy and they don't want to think about anything else. And yeah, you don't get a lot of dynamic uh, leadership and good ideas coming out of a crew like that. So I, I believe like I think yeah, I think this is like the cop show up in the in the background and then also this is where Patrick Stewart, the owner Darcy, shows up. But you don't see him. You see like his back, but you know like okay, that's Darcy. But... Yeah, you've heard him on the phone a few times, I think. Yeah, which I don't, I don't think he's trying to do an accent, is he? No, he's, well, he's, to, he's toning he's trying, it down. He's, yeah, he's like, I mean, I was trying to do Brit- like I'm a British man who's lived in 
yeah. Portland for 20 years. He's doing a Game of Thrones accent because everyone was generically British, but nobody had a specific regional British accent, especially yeah. the American actors and the Danish actors that were in Game of Thrones. Everyone's just kind of baseline British because that's what <laughs> makes sense for sword and sorcery epics. Because yeah. if everyone talked like they were from Wyoming, it would be kind of weird. <laughs> Swinging a sword, what y'all gonna do now? You know, that just doesn't work. Unless, you know, you're in Time Bandits or something. But yeah, so that's what, I think that's what Patrick Stewart was doing. He was also doing really low-key. Because Patrick Stewart's yeah. one of those booming, like, Shakespeare actors. Which, like, when he's angry, that's his, like, oh, you know him from that. But he doesn't do that the whole movie. It's all kind of subdued. Yeah. So, because yeah, it would be weird for someone who's like starting a no Nazi woods club, like a forest neo Nazi club, but he sounded like he was straight out of like the, the, you know Southampton docks or something. Like, <laughs> where does this guy fit in? <laughs> just fly over and parachute in. It's like I'm here now. We're going to be Nazis. <laughs> um, we could be like the disturbing guy in a Clockwork Orange. So you want to be neo Nazis? Hmm? <laughs> Well, here we are. You know, be that kind of neo-Nazi. It's like, wait, didn't they bomb um, the shit out of your cities? And hold on, wait a minute. Why are you a Nazi? I mean, yeah, it's also it's all like there's like because like neo-Nazi would be a specific thing, but also like white power would be a slightly different thing, and then a skinhead would also be a slightly different thing. But we all see them as the same thing because that's all they are, really. But yeah, I mean, well, my thing is like, oh, if you want to be like a like i don't know how would i do if you're a, a nazi is a something as the national socialist party of germany that existed from like 1932 until 1945 uh that's kind of when they dissolved uh <laughs> as, as an effective political organization for reasons number one they lost the war let's not forget so when anyone says they're a nazi and wants to put swastikas on thing it's like well that didn't even last 12 years i mean what are you doing man they weren't that well organized they weren't very good at what they did they scared the hell out of everyone but then everyone got together and like yes we all agree we're going to shake hands with stalin and kill these people it's like so <laughs> that's what happened i don't know now if you want to be into like mystical you know like scandinavian like you know nordic culture or something okay that's a little different it doesn't have that doesn't have to be nazi but it's like when you're specifically saying you're nazi but it's like no this is my culture and heritage it's like number one it's not but well okay you're an american but whatever cool that's your heritage yeah i get it but it always it seems like you I, you're identifying with a failed political philosophy that basically came to power because everyone was scared of the communists. <laughs> and then once they took power, they screwed everything up for Germany. They ruined everything you didn't want to happen to Germany happened to Germany because the Nazis lost. The country got split in half. Half of it was communist. The rest of it was <laughs> socialist. And it was uh, now you have all the foreign peoples coming in and living there. So why would you want to be a Nazi? They failed completely, 100%. But... But see, yeah, I, cause it's, not, it's not about logic. It's like it's mostly it's like I like the look of the uniform. Yeah, I like the, symbols. the swastika is cool and the black and reds awesome and leather. And it's like yeah, and I'm just going to work backwards from there. I'm not going to like <laughs> I'm not going to make sense out of it. Yeah. I mean, the only which cool is very, thing, which is absolutely childish. thinking. <laughs> yeah, it's really straight. That's why because when I hear it, because I'm like so into history, I'm like, oh, no, weird group to be a part of. And there were yeah, and then it's like well you know there weren't any real good guys in World War Two, and it's like, 
Well, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Wait a minute. What do you say? It, it might be the only war with good guys. Well, explain <laughs> that to me. Exactly. It's like, did it, was everyone, you know, were we, was America like Captain America? Was it all truth, justice, and the American way that carried the day? No, it was mostly a lot of Russians dying in Eastern Europe that carried the day. Were the Russians good guys? No. <laughs> were the Americans and the British good guys? We weren't as bad as the Russians. <laughs> we definitely weren't as bad as the Nazis. But yeah, I was like, did you know, we just cover ourselves with glory and, and were we perfect saints and angels throughout the whole thing in the post-war period? No. But were we as bad as anyone else? It's like, yeah, we weren't the worst. <laughs> That's the yeah. thing. With World War II, it wasn't like no one was good. It's like, no, we were the least worst. Yeah. You know, and when people came home or they got wounded or whatever, we took care of them. If you like got captured by in the Russians and they took you back, well, they just shot you or sent you to a gulag. It's like, okay, we weren't that. We weren't rounding people up here, you know, and killing. I mean, we were rounding people up here, but that was, you know, <laughs> we didn't kill anyone directly. It wasn't the point of it, I would say. Hmm. But yeah, it's like, yeah, we were the least, you know, we were the least bad guys, like us and the British, the least bad guys. Um, but the neo-Nazis, like, if you really want to be a neo-Nazi punk, you should only be mad at Russians. Because <laughs> they're the reason you, in the land battle, that's why you lost, essentially. But uh, weirdly, it's like, oh, the neo-Nazis are all over Russia and Ukraine now. And it's like, yeah, there's swastikas everywhere there. It's like, wow, this is so weird. <laughs> I mean, the Ukrainian thing, I get it, because they kind of saw the Nazis as liberators because Stalin was worse than Hitler to them. So it's like, okay, I get it. But, yeah, when I see modern-day American kids that are like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm into neo-Nazism, it's like, oh, you've just already lost. <laughs> you've already <laughs> picked the losing hand. But I get why the, you know, the imagery and the meaning behind it is shocking and hateful. But uh, I understand why it works on one level, but on the other hand, it's on deeper level, it's just, <laughs> it's just dumb. So you have Gabe goes back with Big Justin. <laughs> Played by Eric Eldestein, who basically just looks like David Harbour and talks like him, too. I thought it was. Is this like a young David Harbour? It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> but damn, does he look a lot like him. I don't think there ever was a young David Harbour. <laughs> no, David Harbour was born at 42 years old. <laughs> well, that's always the weird thing I thought about. Like When I first saw him in Stranger Things, that's where I first saw him. But I saw him previously... Because he's in like the first season of Workaholics or whatever, okay. As just like us, as a a comic relief security guard for like three episodes, okay. And that was it. And then he did Stranger Things, and he had a movie. And after that, he, now he has a movie career. It's like it's a, the strangest thing. Because <laughs> now he's in shape, and he looks like he has more hair. It's yeah. like, uh, it's like, huh? <laughs> what a late career change for that guy. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a magical. Yeah, he's just some guy from I think he's from Pittsburgh. Yeah, and uh, and all of a sudden he's a star. <laughs> he gave the uh, I think he did the funniest Mark Maron episode I've heard in a long time. Oh yeah, I, don't, I haven't listened. Yeah, because he's real down to earth in a way. He's like, yeah, I'm just waiting to screw this up. Like the whole time he's talking, they're talking <laughs> about his success, and he goes, yeah, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna screw this up. I'm gonna make one too many bad movies and it's like hey remember that guy from stranger things like yeah he's gone <laughs> well yeah it wasn't great uh, I, people didn't blame him for it but he was in like the new hellboy movie which i hear is terrible but never actually watched it 
Um, yeah, it's when I see like twenty percent reviews, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna pay money for that. But then he was in that 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 new like Santa Claus Die Hard movie, which people seem to like. But I also hear it's like, well, it's not a good movie, but it gives you mostly what you want. So you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so yeah, the 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 skinheads let Cowcatcher go, but they keep the ain't rights there. And also, I I also like forgot this whole time because I almost thought like she was a part of the band when Amber shows up. I was like, and I was just like, oh wait, who's that? I was like, oh yeah, she's part of the band. I'm like, oh wait, no, she's she's one of the girls that Pat saw, and like she's friends with the girl who got stabbed in the head. And it's like I didn't realize that till like maybe like a third, like two thirds of the way into the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there's that point where like somebody calls her skinhead, and it's like that's weird. They're calling one of their band members a skinhead. It's like, oh wait, she's not part of the band. <laughs> she just insinuated herself into this group for reasons Which of I get- personal survival. Well, I guess they shot it in a specific way where basically you don't see the Amber character like with the like with a uh, close up shot until yeah. like way late into the movie. So even though she's there, she's only like in the corner of the screen the whole time until she like talks at one point and they give her a close up, and that's where it's like that's really her first introduction to the movie, which is pretty late in for a main character essentially. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because, yeah, she turns oh, out yeah. to be, like, the most crazy character in the movie almost. <laughs> yeah. It's like, is she the bad guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, she's the bad guy to the bad guys. Yeah. <laughs> she also does the craziest stuff. <laughs> yeah, so I let Cowcatcher go, but here at Cowcatcher or Worm, the lead singer, or maybe he's the lead singer, I'm not sure. He's in the Compl- band. I don't know what he does, but yeah. Yeah. He compliments the band and said, like, like, yeah, you guys rocked. And he's like, what was that? What was that second to last song you played? And he's like, Toxic Revolution is like, yeah, that's a song I did or two. So now basically they now the band feels slightly responsible for the murder of this one. <laughs> it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what song you're playing. He was going to kill her anyways. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's a way to but... insinuate. It's a way to manipulate people into like, you're a part of my crime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like even though I had no volition in it at all, but okay, cool. You're a sociopath. I get it. Uh, so yeah, that so Cowcatcher leaves, and then that's just the the ain't rights and Amber and Big Justin in the room, and he holds a gun to him. Here they banter about like the big revolver, and like it's like, right, well, yeah, we can rush him. He's only got six shots, and he's like. He's only got, or what they say, he only got six bullets, and he's yeah. like, he like corrects him, like, no, it's cartridges, and it only has five cartridges because it's a big ass gun. <laughs> yeah, he's basically implying it's like a five hundred Smith or like a, a you know, a four, uh, what Casul round was that four forty six or four fifty four something like that. Yeah, I think maybe. Yeah. I think the uh, the trip. I didn't look up the intermittent movie firearms database, but in intermittent movie database, somebody said it was just a. It was a Taurus raging bull, so I don't know. Yeah. So it could have been any size. Taurus loves to make guns that look huge. <laughs> I mean, Taurus makes a revolver that shoots shotgun shells. It's called yeah, the yeah. Judge. You can yeah. shoot four ten shells or um, forty four or forty five long Colts out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I had a Derringer that did that once. Hurt like a bastard to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's no, there's actually, there's absolutely no recoiling device on it, so it's just all on your wrist. <laughs> yeah, you are the recoil device, and there's not much <laughs> to hold on to grip wise either. The, the only, <laughs> the only holding on to it to there. 
But I'll tell you what, if somebody came up to you and you shot them with that at almost point blank range, it would be devastating, but it's like, <laughs> be gross. I don't know if the four, four tens aren't, I wouldn't want to be shot in the face with one, but it's like a 12 gauge or something. Uh, then we cut to Darcy, Gabe, and like the skinhead crew are going over the, the band's van to see like how they can cover this up. And here's where they spot the siphon kit and they think of a plan. It's like, oh, okay, they were... They were trespassing and they were stealing gas, and so that's how they ended up dead. So that's see, this is when I back. thought I, I decoded some foreshadowing in this movie, because yeah. their siphoning gas, siphoning gas kit is a part of the band's, uh, you know, survival tools, and the owner of the club's really into fire codes. Is like, oh, this will end in fire. Oh yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that's yeah, that's what I thought too. It's <laughs> like, well, no, I guess not. But yeah, it was kind of weird. There's even a, it even goes all the way with it where it's, it's like, did, did a gas tank just get shot there? And is it not going to explode? It's like, no, you're waiting for an explosion the whole movie. No, it never happens. Right. <laughs> not even the drug den catches on fire or explodes. Yeah. <laughs> Although there is heavy usage of fire extinguishers. So. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they cut that. Justin wants to sh wants to shoot them because like they're trying to rush him. And then Gabe's outside the door, just telling him like to, to hand the gun over to the band. He's like, "Wait, what? Why? Why does that make sense at all?" But like, he's not. He doesn't have the full on scope of how to manipulate these people. It's like it doesn't matter if they have a gun. We can find many ways to kill them. <laughs> so, uh, but so he compromises by taking the bullets out of the gun and then handing the gun to them to to make them feel safe. It's like, um. You know, which that it would be a very, uh, like, I guess, calming, manipulative thing where it's like, here's a gun. You now have the power, even though they absolutely don't. But you just make them think they do. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, they, they, they try fighting their way through Justin. So they just rush him. And then here's where Reese puts Justin in an arm bar, you know, implying he has some sort of MMA background. <laughs> yeah. But she does talk about like talking about like you know, like not just training, but he's been in MMA fights. The the band gets the gun and the bullets, and then they barricade the door because they don't like they don't like. I th well, is Darcy here at this point negotiating? He's with them? behind the door talking to them. Okay, yeah, because like I I think what I think what makes him go crazy is that he says like the cops have already left, and like all they want is the cops to show up and have the cops escort them out of this place. But that's never gonna happen. So. That's why they basically go crazy. <laughs> um, but here, like, you know, they want out, but now because they know that they're basically, that they're marked for death, the band barricades themselves inside the green room. So now this is the only safe place that they're in because they got a gun and they got a guy <laughs> held in an arm bar. <laughs> uh and then Dar then they cut to we cut to darcy and he says like we'll do it here and stage up the road implying that just gonna kill him and then stage that later on which i think yeah th later on they mentioned something like hey yeah yeah just go ahead and shoot them but you're gonna have to dig those bullets out because like they need to like forensically make the because yeah I, so that's why i go with your theory where it's like somehow they were yeah i thought they're gonna have to end up burning the bodies to try to hide the evidence but still have bodies yeah <laughs> so like uh i don't know probably all that stuff will have to show up in it but anyways well this is um, i think this is where darcy talks about i need the i need the red laces only yeah which means the killers i'm assuming or people who have or will commit murder for this group or have done violence against minorities for 
you know, the pleasure of the group or something. Oh, okay. I forgot about that part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. They're supposed to be like racist too. Yeah. I keep forgetting. about. Oh, right. No, no. Darcy says that. No, never mind. There, no, there's something later on where they find a bat and they just talk about like, it, it implied that they just like beat up a bunch of minorities just for like to prove that they're, you know, Hey, look how strong we are or something like that. Oh, it's no Darcy uses the N word like a couple times in the movie talking about dope. Oh, okay. Because yeah. he's 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 branding the uh, heroin they're making with. <laughs> it, it, he calls it, uh, you know, dope from the inner city, yeah. and it supplies those people are making it, so he doesn't have to deal <laughs> with it. But he doesn't use the term "those people." He uses another <laughs> one. Uh, and then there's also the third mention of the hallway being blocked and being a fire hazard. Which you think again, that's going to be something? Yeah. But not really. It's just. I mean, that's what I would do. And like in this situation. It's like, yeah, just start lighting the place on fire. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it's going to draw attention uh, eventually. Or in the confusion, you could get out. Maybe you don't want to burn down the room you're in. but Yeah, well, I think the only thing that protects them is that all their drugs are underneath the green room. Yeah. Um, although, weirdly, they never, like, go into the other hatch of the green room. And, like, because, um, like, that's what I was thinking, too. It was like, oh, they're just going to burn the, the venue down to, to, to hide the evidence. But no, there's like, no, they have like a sacrificial house down the way that they're going to use. It's like, well, why are they doing that? It's like, oh, because these guys are literally sitting because there's also like a million dollars on the table or something like that. Yeah. So they don't want to destroy the million dollars either. So <laughs> so uh, the we cut to the band start looking for like ways out through like the drop ceiling, but like they just keep hitting wood so they can't get a way out. Uh, the, I think the drummer sees some light underneath the floorboard, so that he 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 marks that out. Pat searches the dead girl, but doesn't find a phone. Uh, so that they uh, they let Big Justin up, and like they empty out his pockets, and then like he hides that he has a phone. But when he pulls it, when he, they make him pull it out, and he like quickly just snaps it in half and throws it through them. They're like, no. Uh, and the lights go out. And here where we have like pretty much the first close-up of Amber, it's played by Imogene Poots. She lights a, a cigarette and hands it over to Justin. And here's where it's like the interesting thing where it's like, it's like, oh, is, why is she offering a cigarette to the bad guy? And she's like, there's your tracking device. If the if the if the red cherry on the cigarette moves, shoot it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Cause it also has that thing of like, oh yeah, she's the not she's a Nazi too. So like she's helping them out, but it's like, no like they killed her friend so no she's not their friends anymore <laughs> then we cut to like the main stage and darcy tells like the the crowd outside that the main breaker blue blue and so they have to close the place down but she offers like their money back and says something like drinks for free from two to four which i don't know if two to four already passed or what's going what's going on there but <laughs> yeah it's, it's something to demolify the crowd yeah yeah, because they're like, oh, and then they say free drinks from two to four, and they're like, yay! <laughs> and it's also where we find out that Darcy's main business is dealing drugs, because of course you're you're not making you know millions of dollars at this weird venue in the middle of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, catering to just Nazi punk heads like that's such, that's such a division of a crowd that there's yeah there's no way you can make yeah, that's money a slim that. market share. <laughs> Couldn't even pay the insurance on that place. <laughs> uh, here's uh Darcy negotiates with the band again. He tries to trick him into a bad position, 
So they go to give Darcy the gun back because he Darcy's like, ah, it's an unregistered gun. Like we really need that. And you know, you don't know if that's true or not. I mean, maybe on. <laughs> Uh, but actually, I think it's supposed to be Big Justin's gun, so it probably doesn't matter. It's just a trick. Like uh, Amber's like kind of like looking out like through the vent on the door as he opens it up to hand the gun back, and then he, she like at one angle sees like more feet, and he's like, she's like, no, pull your, pull it back in, and so like, they grab his arm and slash the shit out. That basically <laughs> hit his arm with machetes. Yeah, like you think he's gonna pull a stump back. <laughs> I mean, it almost does. Like his wrist, his wrist is like halfway cut through. Yeah, and it's like, and, and like he lays down for the movie. Like he, he lays down for like fifteen minutes of this movie. Like he's dead. So it's like, well, he's done for. He's not going to be in the rest of this. Um, but you, you imagine like, well, this is like the biggest star. He's got to show up again at some point. But for now, he's completely out of the movie yeah. almost. Uh, also, like Reese breaks Justin Justin's arm, so he has in the arm bar and just just goes on and snaps it uh so he can get up and help fight whoever's trying to get in which i think they get like a piece of the like of the uh the drop ceiling like those little metal things and that's why it stabs some of the guys on the other side with that (laughs) and they grab like a uh a light tube yeah um uh justin justin with his one arm goes for the box cutter also you like choke slams amber (laughs) but uh when he goes for the box cutter reese runs up and uh, puts him in a choke and chokes him out uh but then like he thinks he's like out but then he starts coming to again and then he just chokes him like extra long which here i thought is like okay now he's out but no he kills him and to make sure that they killed him amber takes the box cutter and basically just like almost comically just splits his stomach open yeah with two e's like that's not how skin can't be easily be cut like that with a box cutter, but whatever. It's a very disturbing scene. It's like that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, it's like his that's not what heroes do. <laughs> yeah, his stomach just opens like a zipper to uh, uh, a tunnel of black blood. It's like, oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> but that's when they figured, like, yep, he's dead or he's out. I don't know. They actually don't confirm that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you open up his chest cavity, he's probably bled out pretty quickly. <laughs> Uh, then we have uh, more uh, scenes of Darcy's making more plans to execute because they got to keep changing everything as as everything doesn't go co- just the way they want it. Uh, the band breaks a hole through the floor and they find the drug lab, but they go down there look for a way out, but they're still locked in because there's like a, you know, just some some br- brick locked up area outside that kind of almost looks like a well that is also locked up though like weirdly like you never see anybody around that area ever yeah <laughs> like no one's guarding it no one ever goes through it it's just there <laughs> but they find some duct tape so they duct tape ba- pat's arm back together <laughs> like just really wrap it down it's like here at least at least it won't dangle at the wrist anymore <laughs> it is staunch the bleeding with duct tape <laughs> uh so they, pre- they prepare to make a run for it they move out, but they're not greeted with resistance, so that's kind of eerie. It's like, oh, great, what's going to meet us? And that's when the pit bull shows up and kills Tiger, the drummer. Or no, Tiger, the lead singer. Yeah. You know, just rips his throat out, and he pretty much just bleeds out almost immediately. Uh, Reese hops out a window, but he's just, like, beaten and stabbed by some skinhead, uh, which is like, oh, is he dead? And it's like, technically not, but he basically bleeds out over the time. You just don't see it happen, so. Yeah. Um Amber's getting her leg bitten by the 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 dog, but Pat and Amber like scare it away by like putting the microphone next to the the amp, and so it creates a feedback which scares the dog and it runs off. 
So I had that being the end of Act Two because they try to get out and it's like two people are dead now. So <laughs> like they're at their lowest again. So they they retreat back to the so Act Three. They all retreat back to the green room. Uh, yeah, Reese's body is dragged away unconscious, but he's bleeding to death. And here Darcy says, like, ah, it'll take a long time. Just let him bleed out. The cousin Daniel and another skin, skinhead go in to finish them off. Here Daniel doesn't really know what's going on. But here you just think he's just a bad guy. But when they bust in the room, they don't just start immediately killing people. Daniel just starts talking to him like, hey, what's going on? <laughs> and... And so Daniel knew Emily, the dead girl, because he was going to like run away with her because she's going to leave Worm and go with him. And they were both going to leave the skinhead movement. Maybe I'm not sure about that. Yeah, because it seemed like they were keeping you find out later they were keeping evidence in their car. So it's like, oh, okay, they were trying to get out of this lifestyle. Um, Yeah, because there's a moment where they say like, oh, she was trying to get out. And like, does that mean the relationship or like the skinheads? And it's probably meant to be both. Yeah, probably. It's a bad relationship uh, either way. <laughs> so we come back, we come back to outside, and Darcy becomes suspicious of Daniel. So they search his car, and this is where they find Emily's stuff in the car. It's like, oh, they're lovebirds. And then here they find a bat that was a part of some like hate crime. And so here, here's where he gives compliments, Gabe. It's like, ah, your suspicions were right. It's like it's gonna be a good day today because like this would have this would have ended us. <laughs> yeah, he's basically like, so, oh, worms saved us. We didn't even know. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the band and Daniel head back out. So this is again where like this movie basically becomes like a zombie movie because there's just like they send in different waves of neo Nazis. They're basically just different waves of zombies in a zombie movie, and then people are killed and they have to retreat back to the original position and like try to figure out something new. Yeah. But Daniel goes for the shotgun, but then like a guy, like a big guy from before, because Darcy the bartender. Oh, the bar. Yeah. Darcy asks him, like, is there something we're forgetting? And so then they cut to, like, then Daniel's going for the shotgun, but it isn't there, um, which we do see it, like, a bit. We see it, like, from the, the the dying perspective of Tiger as he's laying on the ground. He sees, like, a shotgun underneath the uh, the counter. But you think, like, oh, is he going to grab for it? It's like, no, that's just for the audience to know. <laughs> yeah. And so as Daniel reaches for the shotgun, he finds out it's not there, and the bartender's in there and just shoots him right in the f-ing head. So he's dead now. Um and then uh, Amber is able to like block the shotguns, so he so he can't aim at anybody. And then Pat like j- just hits him in the side of the neck with a machete and kills him. So now they have a shotgun. They move outside, but like they said, like the guys start immediately shooting at them. And so it's, I think actually I think just Amber gets shot, and I think Pat gets shot. Or no, Sam gets shot. She she tries to shoot the dog, but like the dog ends up taking her down and killing her. So it's back to the green room for Amber and Pat. Amber wants the, there's a story that Pat was trying to tell about like when they were playing paintball against like some military veterans. And, but he was like telling the story when he started telling the story, it was like, this isn't helping. So they just made him stop. So, so here he tells the rest of the story where basically like, yeah, we couldn't fight them because they were too organized. And so we won one game by just doing an, an unexpected charge and screaming and doing something just unexpected. Just like being a berserker, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Pat says, like, that won't work in the real world. And then so Amber says, well, let's pretend it's not the real world. Uh, then we cut to Darcy gives Gabe red shoelaces and mentions, uh, like, offhand about how, like, killing cow, killing cow catcher with, like, bad, a batch of bad drugs. 
but like this is a moment like like this is a proud moment for gabe it's like oh man i'm getting like the red shoelaces even though i don't think he technically killed anybody he was just a part of the planning and organization of it yeah uh the the skinheads prep another wave to go into the bar uh they get in there and but the uh amber and pat have created a feedback loop so the the dog runs away because like the the dog handler gives it like the dog like a because uh, it got shot by a shotgun so it gives it like a dose of drugs and it's like oh this will keep the dog alive for another hour it's like let him go out with like meat in his teeth or something like that <laughs> but now yeah, the, now the dog runs away and so it's just the guys with a couple of guns that uh, they run into the the green room and pat's they're just like yelling and like turns around he has like war paint on his face and he jumps down into the the drug den and like starts making noise and banging stuff all over the place here the skinheads like normally like go like this is a trap right it's like yeah (laughs) we gotta do this and there's kind of there's like uh there's like a fat guy and a skinny guy and the skinny guy's always like saying don't tell darcy like (laughs) like don't tell darcy we did this we'd like we knowingly walked into a trap it's like don't worry you're not gonna get out of this um so like uh, one guy stays up in the green room and you see amber like sneaks out of the couch she's like hiding under the couch covers and just sneaks out of it which is you know pretty creepy creepy uh and so she slits the fat skinhead's throat the the rain skinhead only has like two shots left in his shotgun um and then like she keeps like dangling people dead people over the hole and he keeps shooting at it and then the the body will drop (laughs) which is kind of humorous because uh, the last one, she, she like dangles Emily, her friend, to get shot, get her, you know, her dead leg shot to, to empty the guy's uh, shotgun. So Pat gets the shotgun because like there's the gun drops out of the one guy's coat pocket, and so he goes to get that because that that's a gun with bullets in it. So he leaves the shotgun, but Pat has shotgun shells, but he only has one arm, so he tries loading it up and shooting that guy, but they end up struggling with the over the shotgun then amber just walks up behind and shoots the guy in the throat and then the head so he's dead <laughs> uh so they make their way back to the green room where gabe is like dressed for like cleanup like he has like a smock on and he's like power washing stuff because like i gotta get a head start on this but now he's, they just have to drop on him because he doesn't have any weapons he's just he's just they got all the guns and so he's basically just like consigned of like, well, I guess I'll die. But he asks like, I want to go to jail. So that's like these, that's like his, that's like his only bargain is like, well, let me go to jail. You don't have to kill me. <laughs> then we cut to them leaving. It's morning. They make the way outside with Gabe as their hostage. They start walking through the woods because they don't have any keys to the car. Nobody knows how to hotwire the car, uh, which the only car left is Daniel's. They hear gunshots, and so, which you know, you presume is just the the dead bodies of the band being shot to, to for their cover up. So here they let Gabe go. I forget what they tell him, but they just let him go. And then Pat and well, Amber he's like supposed go, to go get the police because it's like fifteen okay. miles to the next hippie village or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh Pat and Amber go to ambush the skinheads. They hold up the two skinheads there. Uh they go to the front of the house where like the dead bodies of the band are staged as trespassers stealing gas. Darcy is there as well. Uh, Amber shoots like the dog trainer guy when, when, just as he starts talking. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like, shut up. <laughs> Which that's a good way to keep everyone silent. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I remember whoever talks dies. <laughs> Which they kind of get that point because I think, uh, yeah, because like Darcy, uh, Darcy like barely says anything. Like he's not, he's like not in a position to like negotiate. So that's where he, his best move is to just 
turn around and walk away swiftly and then like he, he pulls out the gun when, when they can't see it but then there ends up in a shootout and so they shoot both those guys so now so now all the skinheads are dead that we we know of. i figure there's like some dog or like uh pat's like i thought i was going to like somebody asked like what are you gonna do and he says i thought i was going to ruin the crime scene and then uh amber says i thought i'd leave a new one <laughs> a oh then forget the dog shows up yeah i mean that's a that's a bit later um I kind of jumped over that dialogue, but yeah. So yeah, they kill all the skinheads. Then we cut to a scene where Gabe asks, like, you know, the the fault, the you know, the the farm next door or whatever that's fifteen miles away to call the police. Yeah. Then we then we get a shot of the of the band Cowcatcher, like all all dead from drugs, that bad drug, except for Worm, who's like eating cereal and like seems unconcerned, or maybe he is concerned because he's eating really fast. <laughs> it's kind of a weird yeah you don't know what exactly this means <laughs> uh then the injured dog which is kind of it was kind of left around as like what do you call that a Chekhov's loose attack dog yeah like they keep cutting to it it's like this is gonna kill somebody here and like it, it just casually walks up and like they, they know the dog's dangerous so it'll kill people and they just pull the triggers on their guns but they don't have any bullets left but then the dog just kind of casually moves past them and just goes lays down with the the dead uh dog trainer yeah presumably Um, to die as well yeah um then we got a shot of pat and amber and finally because it's been there's yeah because the first time they charged out when they get the first dog kills tiger and then and then um reese gets killed that's where everyone like says their desert island band before they leave the green room uh, which some of it's unexpected because I think like I think like Reese is because he's like the big badass he's like Prince and I think Amber's like Madonna or something like that and it was a bunch of like unexpected stuff but then, but I, th- I think Tiger is like no it's still it's still a minor threat for me so <laughs> that never changes um, but at that point Pat still doesn't have one so here Pat says like like oh I know what my Desert Island band is and then Amber responds with tell somebody who gives a sh-. and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> uh which it ends on a credence clearwater song which i guess that's supposed to be the clue that that's the that's his desert island band yeah that's what i thought that's what i got out of it (laughs) a pretty yeah pretty good swift movie for your kind of weird drama horror movie yeah indie drama horror movie so that's a pretty good movie i mean you got to be in a mood you know you're not gonna feel good after watching it but it's a good swift movie so yeah this isn't one to like sit around the family you know and eat dinner and watch this uh (laughs) it's not gonna make you feel good about life but (laughs) a well-executed indie movie so yeah it's it's uh like i said it took me back to like sam peckinpah like straw dogs like those kind of movies It's got a cool poster too, where he like the Pat character is kind of, it's like it's a green color, almost like Matrix looking hallway, and he's got a machete and he's kind of like holding it in a weird way, which I guess they based it off the cover of the London Falling, where the guy's like beating the guitar into the ground. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> hey, that's that's Green Room, just a, a nifty, and it's on it's on Max, so if you got that, you can watch it. It's only an hour and a half, and. Uh, just a, a nifty horror movie. Yeah. And I guess check out Blue Rune. I hear it's good. I think it's maybe in the same place. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think you can watch. Uh, I think Blue Ruin's like uh, it's one of those streaming services where you can watch ads and watch it. You don't have to pay for it. Oh, okay. So, 
because um, I might have to check that out. I'm not sure. It's kind of fun. I watched it a, a couple years ago. <laughs> well, what tr- what made you want to see that, or was it just a happenstance? It was just a ha- it just looked interesting. Oh, okay. It was it was like oh it's 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 like a, you know kind of a revenge story sort of set in the American you know wilderness and it's like oh what's this about? Um, it's a little sorry. it's a little more sarcastic and funny. Than, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. The, the trailer doesn't make it seem sarcastic, sarcastic and funny, but but yeah, it's supposed to be like because like people are saying like oh are you making a trilogy of like colors in the title? He's like no, but he considers it part of his inept protagonist trilogy okay. <laughs> where it's like where it's like yeah in blue ruin this guy's trying to get revenge but he like he doesn't know how to get revenge and here they're like these people are being cornered like almost by a military neo-nazi like militia it's like how do we fight back when we don't know how it's like well poorly yeah, <laughs> yeah just randomly uh, <laughs> you're a punk band and their guys have been planning crimes for their whole lives. Uh, well, not the young guys. The young guys are all stupid. So. Yeah. These vicious sadists. <laughs> uh, well, we're, we're sending a probe into space containing the, the, the super cut of scenes from the imperfect collection. That is the Verhoeven effect. So Nathan, what one scene from this movie are we sending into space? Uh, when they're talking to the uh, Portland radio guy, about how they don't have an internet presence or social media presence and they like to put stuff on vinyl and they you know they don't do anything conventionally it's like yes they're not prepared for anything success <laughs> violence and nothing success <laughs> yeah failure they're not prepared for that either <laughs> no nobody's prepared for failure but it always looms large in our lives <laughs> All right, well, uh, if you like our podcast, and how, and how couldn't you? You can find us at VerhoevenEffect.com. Uh, whatever platform you're listening on uh, this on, you can rate us whatever you want. But remember, the, the highest rating is the only thing the algorithm listens to. So remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm does control you. Uh, we have listener support at VerhoevenEffect.com where you can support us on a monthly stipend of either $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99 and cancel anytime. You can find us at Twitter at VerhoevenEffect. You can find us at Facebook at VerhoevenEffect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory and watch both this and that show live and unedited. And you can find t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash Greed Factory. So for the Vero Effect Podcast, I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. Goodbye, America.